In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Baseball not being boring comes in so many different forms, and and Thursday we were reminded of one of the forms that it comes in, which is the deliciousness of off-season contracts, and the drama, and the money, and the deals, and all of that. They come with the off-season, they come with a hot stove, and there's probably nobody at the top of the mountain when it comes to that conversation, when it comes to that drama. This offseason, anyway, more than Scott Boris. And Scott Boris, obviously the agent Scott Boris, he has signed players to over a billion dollars in contracts. Let me give you the list. All right? The latest? Yeah, yesterday the agreement with the Yankees, Carlos Rondon, six-year, $162 million for Carlos Rondon, the pitcher. Even before that, you had Carlos Correa, $350 million, Xander Bogus, $280 million, Brandon Nimmo, $162 million, Masataka Yoshida, $90 million, Taiwan Walker, $72 million, Shaw Manaya, $25 million, Cody Bellinger, $17.5 million, Matt Boyd, $10 million, and low man on the totem pole, James Paxson, agreed to his opt-in or uh, his option with the Red Sox, $4 million. So, 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 so. It seemed like a good time to, to really finish the week with a podcast to talk to Scott Boris. So that's exactly what we did. We got up with Boris at the Yoshida press conference over at Fenway Park. And, uh, and not only did he talk about sort of the Yoshida uh, pursuit, which is um, the, the, the Zoom calls or the Zoom buyouts, which he wasn't going to let anybody of these other teams in on any Zoom calls with Ishida unless they, they actually met a price. And really, all they did was the, kind of one Zoom call. They didn't even do that Zoom call. They just met with the Red Sox. The Red Sox came in and said, we'll pay the price for Ishida. Boom, boom, boom. There you go. Deal done. But he talks more about the market, more about uh, the shortstop market, where things are going, where guys were pursued, uh, why guys were pursued, how teams might look at things. Um, so it seemed like a good time to catch up with Scott Boris as he, by the way, like what a crazy, here's the, here's the thing. I asked the dumbest question of all time to Boris. I, I asked him, I said, listen, do you fly in a private jet or do you got, you know, do you, do you get in first class commercial? How stupid a question is that by me? Of course he's flying in a private jet. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The fact is, is that he went from he went from New York yesterday morning, Thursday morning, to Boston, and now he's going to Philadelphia. Then he goes to San Francisco. I don't think he's waiting in, in TSA pre-check. I mean, I, I don't know. My my senses weren't keen with that one. And I, as I told him, I said, 
first, I, you get a private jet. Anyone who's thrown, flown on a private jet, all you can think about is how can I fly on a private jet for the rest of my life? And you know what? When you sign in one off season over a billion dollars worth of contracts, probably means you can fly in a private jet the rest of your life. But all right, enough of that. Here we go. All right, I thank you for everybody this week for who has joined us. I'm Bloom, Tori Lavello, Matt Strom. We broke down the Correa conversation. All of that. It's been a great week at Baseballs and Boring. Please, please, please keep subscribing, leaving nice reviews, listening, the whole ball of wax, spreading the word, buying the merchandise. A lot of great things coming up. I mean, a lot of great things. Like, what I mean a lot of great things coming up, a lot of great things coming up. Big news. Big news heading into the new year. All right, but we're going to cap off this week with with the guy who, uh, there's no other way to put it. I mean, really, he has been the straw that serves a drink when it comes to this offseason. You can like him, you can hate him, whatever. But, you know, he's been, like I said, at the top of the mountain when it comes to the the chaos of the, this offseason and all the negotiations and all the contracts, culminating most recently with Carlos Rendon signing with the New York Yankees, which we'll break down a little bit more. I mean, holy mackerel. I, I love the conversation. Which who has the best division? Now the American League East, ooh, shots fired. Shots fired. That, that rotation with the Yankees, with the investment they made, shots fired for the American League East. But, again, another conversation for another day. Today's conversation, Scott Boris. Behavior of teams this offseason? Um, revenues and competitiveness. Uh, playoff structure allows teams to um, a broader width, we could say, that it used to be 40% really tried to compete. Now I think we're up to about 60 to 65% of the clubs think they have an opportunity to get into the playoffs. The Phillies are a really good example that you can get in and be the last play, get the last playoff berth and yet win the pennant. And uh, you have good pitching, your team comes together. So I think there's uh, opportunities and methodologies that can uh, really uh, allow for um, a, uh, a playoff window. And uh, clubs believe that, and uh, you, can, you can really see in their, in their efforts to create more depth and more uh, uh, a fuller roster. By, by spending, or in the revenues of the game are, are, are record-setting, so it allows them the, the uh, ability to uh, to spend a little more on players. Doesn't, like, in some ways, you think about John Middleton having that moment with Bryce on the field after the Phillies clinched the NLCS, where he said, I think I might have underpaid you. Like, is that not a signet to... Is, there, there's, is that not a resonant moment? In, but, I, I told John that when he signed Grass, I said, my view of this is you will think it's a record-setting contract, but I think it's the best deal I could ever give an owner. And John called me back really late after the MVP season of uh, 2021 and said, you know, I remember you said that, and I think you're right. 
I think you're right. It, it, in those couple of off seasons, like the Bryce contract, you know, you saw a couple of $300 million contracts. Now all of a sudden we're seeing a number of them. Has the bar simply moved for how star players are being evaluated and, and paid? I think the way they found a resonance in the collective bargaining agreement that allows for opportunistic uh, rule application where you can you have a choice of a higher AAV and shorter years or a compressed AAV and 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 longer years, much what we created with Bryce. And uh, that seemed to have worked for teams, particularly major market teams. And uh, the idea that, remember, the players who are getting these contracts are few and far between. And we just happen to have... You know, an extraordinary talented judge, and we have literally three shortstops that are special, special players. And I know in the case of Correa and Bogarts, they're extraordinary franchise leaders to go with their skill set. So, you know, these are these are men that are really unique to our industry. So it just so happens that talent is not a slotted dynamic. It sometimes comes in waves. And you see in this offseason, you know, those three men and Judge rewarded. You also saw Nimmo rewarded because there's such a shortage of the, of the center field position. And and getting an offensive player with, a, with an on-base percentage that uh, is, is near the 400 level, it's, it's, they're just hard to find. And so... A lot of it has to do with talent. Uh, number one pitchers are extraordinarily valuable. Center field shortstop with offensive potential is really valuable. Um, and uh, it just so happened in this market that there were five or six of them. When you went into this offseason, you projected as best you can. And you know, obviously, like this is, has taken a turn from three or four years ago. Did you anticipate it being like it ended up? Um, well, I, I don't want to say this, but we were pretty much exactly on point with three of our players that signed to the free agent market. We knew the demand, knew the valuation, and was pretty much how we thought it would go. Yeah. Uh, is Xander one of those? Absolutely. So, you know, if that's the case, obviously, you know, you're here in Fenway Park, and there's no Xander, uh, who's a part of the Red Sox team. Um, did the Red Sox miscalculate the market? You know, the, every team has models, because really, it's, I'm not sure it's about miscalculation, it's just about choices. You know, you choose to pursue players, and like they, you know, they chose to pursue Massa at levels that many other teams didn't have him at, and teams chose to pursue Xander at levels that some teams didn't have him at. So you see that in the industry. Um, I'm really pleased to say that when you do a, a Harper contract, you do a Scherzer contract that are at the time record setting, the surplus value, value above what was paid, 
has been extraordinarily to the favor of the teams. And I think that looking at character and looking at those things is it's really good business to uh, to do those things. Um, you don't get to do it often because the level of players that are available to do it with are not are not present in the marketplace. And also remember that it's rare for those types of players to get to free agency because most of them don't they sign earlier. So um, it, it's a uh, it's a real opportunity for a team to get a player like that. And, and yes, clubs do look at certain players very differently. Were there, was there a wide range of the, of the the offers you initially got for, from Elsa? Um, the, way, the way this went was that we had an evaluation on Massa, and we had a couple teams, and we literally had so many people that wanted to get on a Zoom call to get to know them. So I, I said, we cannot do this. I'm going to have to develop the ZBO, <laughs> the Zoom buyout, and say, you know the player? We're going to put an evaluation on the player. If you want to get involved, let us know. But basically, we cannot do uh, the volume. Because when the posting occurred, every team wanted to meet, do this. It, it, it couldn't function that way because the demand was literally in the teens for this player. And so we decided to do it this way. Um, we found out what teams were aligned with us in our evaluation and what teams weren't. And then we also looked and said, we're going to go with Boston first because we felt the player could execute here well. Um, and, and the divisional ballparks playing here, being a left fielder, we felt it suited him in, in every aspect. Is he an all-fields guy? Like, is he going to be able to take take advantage of, of, the, of the Green Monster? Oh, yes. He's, he has... I mean, when you look at, you know, the... Uh, you know, really what goes on in, in the NPB, his bat-to-ball skills are, and his eyes, his, his ability, his walk-to-strike animation is just something that is way different than many of the, the really good Japanese players that we've seen. Plus, he has a power potential that's so natural um, that he, he, he has the ability to be really, really good hitter with, with power. And just to clarify the ZBO process, the Red Sox were the first team that you wanted to meet. Was it over after that? Like, did you literally just talk to the Red Sox? They said, yes, we will meet your uh, your market ask. And we, done. we made a decision after we looked through. We narrowed it down to three teams. And we said, what, what place do we believe is best suited for Boston? We chose Boston. We talked to Haim. We let them know we're gonna we're not we're only gonna have zooms with one team and it's up to you whether you know whether you're aligned with this and, and they were. So you didn't even get into the zooms with the other two teams. Well, it was a zoom buyout, the CBO. Right. So, <laughs> so, so I thought the zoom buyout for the other 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 teams. Yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. There was only going to be one zoom. There was only one, yeah. one zoom. And frankly, that zoom turned out to be live. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just going back to the Xander, like when you eleven years. When do you remember when um, you said, okay, we we are we think this is going to land here? 
I mean, obviously, we hear what happened in March or April, whatever. When for you did you think, okay, this is where we think it's Because we did Bryce Harper's contract, we had a lot of teams come to us and say, is, you know, you did this, is it something that you would consider for a player we're interested in? And I said, yes, we're just looking at valuations. We look at net present values, look at what we want to do, and, you know, got consent from Xander to take that route. And I said, we're open to the other elements of it too, more of a traditional shorter term higher AV, because for some teams that worked. So we had offers on the table from shorter term higher AVs and the contract that he took. Was there was our team or teams that had the very short, very high AV? No, no, the, we obviously wanted volume in the contract. Yeah, yeah. So when I say shorter term, I yeah. meant seven yeah. or eight years. Right, right. I, I just didn't know if someone came in. And Th- that's our Boris Group short term contract. <laughs> <laughs> How hard was it emotionally for Xander to leave here? You know, when you you know a place, I think the going through three years ago, we went through where Xander, I said, always give me a good reason because being a 26-year-old free agent is so valuable to you. And he called me. It was, he was in Seattle and the season was beginning. He goes, I don't feel I'm the player I could be. And I don't want to go to free agency until I'm the best player I can be. That was a real good reason. So I said, the only thing I ask is that I'll do this deal, but I want to get a buy opt-out. I mean, excuse me, an opt-out. And because I have to protect your value in doing that. And he agreed. And then I called BOH and we worked it out. And he put the, the opt-out in and we were able to do a deal. Uh, really, in a, a matter of fact. How much have, have opt-outs changed the landscape of how far teams are willing to go on on, on, on kind of high-end free agency, right? Like, the fact that there have been, that you've gotten guys going to free agency in their mid to later 20s, but then returning to the market as, you know, around 30 or 31, rather than at like 35, 36, how much has that transformed the free agent dynamic? Well, you know, when I created the opt-out with... Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez, because it was the first time a player had a 10-year guarantee, and I put it, I think he could get out after seven. When we created it, I thought it was going to be utilized in two ways. The first one was with contracts of length, where we had players that were so young at 26 that we wanted to revisit the market and that we were going to give the clubs an option to buy out the opt-out in the contract, if you will. And, and such to do that. So that was really for the 26 to kind of the 26 or 27-year-old, maybe 28-year-old free agent. And it wasn't going to do a contract of finality, but you're going to have to basically revisit the market in some way. The second use of the opt-out for me was the idea that I use it on short-term players who have been hurt or malperformed, where you can get them some guarantee, but you can also get them the ability and a comfort to go out and revisit the market uh, after they perform uh, and uh, yet get two or three years of guarantee. So those are the two ideas behind it. That we, uh, Adrian Beltre. No, Adrian Beltre is a pillow contract. Yeah, yeah, so that is more of a one-year yeah. scenario where you come in and do it. An opt-out scenario is a, uh, you have to get the terms out of ZBO, opt-out. We have <laughs> it's been a lot, I'm, I'm in, yeah. 
well, ops. Yeah. We, we did that where that was more of a one-year thing where it was a, a player was uh, just going to be there for a year ago. So. Do you uh, do any other business here, or is it just in and out? Well, I'm, I'm like the neighborhood fruit stand. I'm always open for business. <laughs> Absolutely. It's tough to find a fruit stand here. It's tough to find a fruit stand this time of year. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I, it seems to me like it hasn't stopped. I don't know, you know. You have to pay a premium for winter for fruit in the winter. That's right. Yeah. Was there any movement toward future produce movement while you were here? Well, I, I think every club still has needs. How's that? Yeah. And, uh, the idea of it is that uh, you, uh, you can see a lot when you have talent out there that still remains. Like if we have some really good players that are still out there. There's a reason for teams to express an interest, in, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking. Are you surprised the Red Sox didn't go higher on Alexander than what they? You know, I, there are there are so many times when you go through free agency when people say, "Well, you know, I'm." Why didn't you? Whatever, and you can go ask a club, and I can guarantee you they're going to give you four or five reasons. You know, there's a certain shortstop they have down in the minor leagues that they want to play here. I would imagine, right? It's a pretty good ball player. And so when you go through all of it, they they have models, they have things, and I, I'm not sure there's a right or wrong to it. I just think it's about when you make the decision, you have to look at a broad spectrum of of impact that may have on your team, your market, your leadership, your growth. But on the other side of it is you also have to kind of allow their models and their plan to uh, grow to to do things. And uh, in some cases, it's been highly successful. So I don't I don't fault decision making. And uh, all I know is that you have alignment. You can kind of see it, like in this case, because we really felt and wanted this player here. It's no secret Xander liked it here and would like me at the right t- terms to stay here. Did you have to sort of talk him through the frustration of, of the season, whether it's the initial offer or going through the season? You know, we talk to players about free agency. We certainly want them, you know, what they like and what they're used to and, and such is expressed. But on the other side of it is there's an organizational element that, you know, I went through this with Bryce Harper in Washington. He had been there. He liked it there. He wanted to stay there. But guess was who was coming? Juan Soto. Right. So the reality of it is you say you can't fault organizations for expressing their model because they're going to go sign a, a left-handed pitcher. You know what? That model worked because that pitcher that they signed, coupled with that group and that lineup, mm-hmm. they won. Yeah. And so the the idea of it is is that you you don't say did what what would they have done? You have to say that you let their model speak, let it address, you go through it. But the key thing from our perspective is is that we have a 
an element of what's Xander's goal, winning. What's also his goal is that he wants his appropriate valuation in the market. And you know what? He found that on a number of levels, frankly, and, and chose that. And uh, for them, their model was it had a different modality to it, and they moved forward with it. And so when we get into the right or wrong areas, I've learned you have to let time and such take its course to really evaluate it. If it's not right or wrong, does it feel like for this organization that the model's different than maybe it was when they were more excuse me, active in, in, in pursuing guys at, at the top of the levels of contracts? Well, again, the, the, uh, the decision makers are different than it was before. And it's, it's their process. And uh, I can't I can't grade these things because of the fact that you uh, you have to understand that the focus of a player's goals are finite, winning, valuation, playing at a high level, being able to do all the things I want to do for a long time. That was Xander's goal. And the reality of it was is that, that there was an overwhelming... Because you remember, Xander chose San Diego. And the teams that offered that were a finite group. And that's why he did what he did. And earlier in his career, he chose Boston for a reason that he felt it was the best place for him to be the best player he could be and achieve his goals. So it's a, it's a matter of time, but I, I've learned in the game, I'm not one to, to sit and direct what goes on with planning and, and evaluations internally, the hours spent and such. And then ironically, on the same day that Xander makes a decision to leave Boston is the same day that we have with the same group alignment on a very player that we think is great for Boston. So that's my point, is that their their judgments and our judgments align sometimes, and sometimes they don't. Do you, th- do you think the Japanese market is just getting more predictable in terms of uh, knowing which players are going to su- succeed over here? It feels like it used to be more of an, an exact... Well, we, we feel that we have an understanding of it um, that allows us we're very selective the pitching parts a little bit easier frankly than the hitting part because teams aren't bringing a, a Japanese player here unless he has extraordinary power or unless he's a great hitter with power this is a great hitter with power and uh, and we think he's going to succeed here because his swing plane is up, up top of the zone it's a flat bat and uh, he has the ability to hit for power without a big looping swing. And his eyes and strike, strike zone control are there. And we know from watching him hitting velocity, he's really good at it. So we think the transition is going to be really, really good. And uh, and I think those are the strongest components that Boston felt, too, about it. You, oh, please, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. Saying that that's not to say that, you know, when you look at what Matsui did with New York, those kind of players that have extraordinary power, you know, they can come over here and do very well, and 
every once in a while there's a player in Japan that's, that's like that. You're well aware of industry reaction that was surprised by both the speed uh, and you know there were there have been a number of teams that have uh, that have suggested that they were very surprised at where the deal went. Yeah, you know the uh, the uh, posting dynamic is kind of like our baseball draft. You know, I remember when I saw JD Drew play, ironically number seven, and uh, I watched him play in college and. He was the greatest college baseball player I'd ever seen. So I had to put a value on him that was completely outside the realm of the draft. But it turned out to be a great investment. Wayne Wright got to the Cardinals because they drafted and paid $8 million for J.D. Drew. J.D. Drew went on to win a world world championship in in Boston and have a remarkable career. So there are times in our career of evaluation where we're going to exceed the known. And every other team goes, that is outside the realm of boundaries as they know we felt differently about the player and and so did Boston and I assure you there were other teams that would have loved to have the opportunity to sign you know I have to ask so you had mentioned the Harper Soto dynamic right and you had vaguely mentioned the shortstop coming up here did you feel like the Red Sox model was driven their offer was driven by you know Marcelo Meyer sitting there as a guy coming up in a couple years I am really the wrong guy to answer that yeah I'm just asking <laughs> Oh, you felt though. No, I just, yeah. I, I, I think that there's talented player, mm-hmm. very talented player. Scott, uh, speaking of the Japanese market, is there any update on Shintaro Fujinami? Is there maybe a chance that we can come back here for his press conference? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, he, he certainly is someone that's a, a big arm and has that splitter, and, and uh, we're working on his contract now. So I can't tell you geographically with accuracy. And believe me, I would have loved to do two for one, but I think I'm going to be flying again. You know, you know, so you were here with time we talked in San Diego. Is the market still developing or start to uh, narrow down to selection? Um, we're, we're getting to a point where in the market where we've, we've got the starting pitching element where it's starting to attract. Uh, teams have lost on some players and signed other players. We we're starting to get that momentum with him. But as far as the time frame, I can't give it. So most of the time I didn't do the meeting with the team, but how's the Fujinami? Is he meeting with the team on the Zoom, or does he have a plan to come to yes. the States and see the ballpark? No, we're, uh, we're going to do some uh, Zoom meetings for him, too. You call his market a bullet train, but the Fujinami is not a bullet train. Um, the pitching market for him is one that came after the. There was a lot of really good ace pitchers in the market, number one pitchers, and so consequently, it's it's developing a, a little bit slower, as, as, which is customary, frankly. You know, surprisingly, over uh, the end of the year. You know, surprising if the contract 
after the end of the year? Free agency has no wristwatch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's posted. Uh, what's now? Yes. That's why I said I, I can't tell you what time he's going to sign. <laughs> Does he have a plan to come He's going to sign within the 45 days we get posted, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no doubt. Does he have a plan to come to the States? What's that? Does he have a plan to come to the States to see um, the parts we're, we're defining that right okay. now. But he has a plan to do like the Zooms now, so he's in Japan. Yes. Right. So how many teams do you look Well, um, let's see. There could be 30 by the time he gets done. He fits a lot of teams. Some teams want him as a reliever and some teams want him as a starter. That's why I say that so many teams could be interested in him. 